0: Well, hello everyone and welcome to the uh, latest episode of Switcher of Player. Mickey, how are you?
1: Yeah, I'm all right. It's been a bit of a tough week, Mark, I'll be honest. I've been a bit up and down this week in right. mood and I don't know why. I think um, it just happens to certain days, doesn't it? But uh, yesterday was our Ollie's 18, so we had a good day for that. And uh, I think... Considering the circumstances, he he had a good day as well. So, And he managed to... um, He he wanted to do a few things that he can do when he's here. He wanted to go to the pub, he couldn't. So he went out to Tesco and bought some beer, because he's allowed to do that now. (laughs) He he was good because he didn't get ID'd, because he works in Tesco, so everyone knows him. Oh, so everyone knew, knew, yeah. So then he was like, I'm going to put a bet on. He opened a betting account last night. And I was like, right, okay." (laughs) All these vices he's not allowed to do. Yeah, so he got a £10 free bet. (laughs) He <laughs> put that on, and he's like, Right, Dad. I've got six, I've got an ACA, six teams. Like, you never win. Cashed out last night on Manuel for about 275 quid. So he's like, It's easy, This gambling, like, Dad, it's not a big bother. So he, I think he had a good day anyway. <laughs> well, it is, it's
0: just difficult during during lockdown generally, isn't it, for people? And you can understand, I think everybody's having um, ups and downs at the minute, to be fair, aren't
1: they? Yeah, I think, I mean, we're, we're, I'm working from home at the moment on like live lessons at school so I'm, I'm behind the computer a lot of the time sat down I'm not used to it and I think some days it just gets to us and more than others and I know other people in exactly the same situation so for me it's just if I do get a bit of time I try and get some fresh air and a walk and lift my mood that way so I think everyone has these days at the moment where you're up and down a little bit and um, but then you just pick yourself up for the next day. One thing that uh, did lift me, and I, I, I think it'll probably
0: lift you as well, Mickey, when I tell you the words, but uh, since our last podcast, I received an email and some members of the Hartlepool United Supporters Trust have got in touch with us. And and what they've said is that they were so pleased with what we were able to do to help people, you know, cope with the first lockdown and provide that little bit of solace for everyone when everyone was was locked down uh, last year, that they wanted to, to club together to sponsor a an episode on behalf. So it's not, you know, it's um, it's it's, it's donations from them personally that's uh, what's happened. So basically the Supporters Trust are our official sponsor of this evening's episode, which is good. And I just wanted to read out the, the, the basis behind yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. So just said, uh, I got an email saying, you might agree that 2020 will no doubt go down as a year to forget. With the country lockdown and the National League season curtailed. things were quiet on the football front. However, thanks to Switcher Player, Pools fans had something to look forward to each week. And on behalf of the Pools fans, a group of, H- of Hartlepool United Sport Trust members joined together to sponsor this week's podcast. There to say a bit massive thank you to Mark and Mickey for the memories, the laughs, and the entertainment that kept us going. And when it can finally get out and about, we hope they will both enjoy a couple of beers on us.
1: Oh, Cheer. that's fantastic. Do you know what? It, 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 we set this up for us more than anyone else for <laughs> us to get a bit of relief from the, the sort of first lockdown and, and, um, and it's just lovely to hear the people enjoying it and it, it's been, I know on Twitter there's a lot of good feedback, but to hear a statement like that, it's, um, it is its really nice and it, it just means that like, the, the, the enjoyment we're getting from it and other people are getting as well. Um,
0: and off the back of that, obviously the, 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 the money they've put towards uh, the switcher play, I think we will probably have a, a couple of beers one night, Mickey, won't we? Have a little bit of a yeah. Zoom Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think we'll either... Keep it <laughs> when we can meet up, but um, probably more. We'll, we'll go. We'll get a Zoom thing, and we'll have a couple of beers, and and it's nice for us just to chat about the the, the podcast and Hartlepool and life in general. So yeah, that would be really nice just to have a couple of beers, and I might get a takeaway for the family, and then we'll just have a catch up like that. So thank you very much.
0: And and with a portion of the money, what we'd like to do, we discussed it the other night, and and something that's really um, important to me at at this moment is. Um, is is dementia my my dad sadly is um, is in a nursing home at the moment um i've not actually been able to see him since july now um because of the situation and um what we're going to do is pledge uh, a chunk of the money that's been donated to us uh to dementia uk as well to, to fund their ongoing research into the condition because um you know my dad was uh he got MBE for his services to local cricket and to education and for all the things he got involved in during his, um, his lifetime, his work and life, uh, and, and to see the way that dementia has has hit him and to, to see, you know, the way that's affected everyone in our family and not yeah. being able to see him as well. And especially my mom who hasn't, I don't think seen him since probably August herself, which is so heartbreaking. Um, so, um, yeah, we just want to try and make on behalf of Switcher Player that little small donation to towards Dementia UK as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's an awful disease, and, and you're going through it firsthand at the minute. I know people in my family have suffered with it before, and it, and and there's just no rules to it. It doesn't seem to one case doesn't seem to be the same as others. So I know it's tough for you at the moment in your family, but uh, you know I, we're all here to, to help you. And I think that donation's a lovely gesture as well.
0: And moving on to this evening's guest, uh, Mickey. He's a he's a legend in Hartley. Do you know what? In the grand scheme of things, he didn't play a huge amount of games for Hartlepool, but the impact he had, uh, Richard Barker, was enormous, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was. He he, he came to us um, at a good time. So uh, we were we were doing all right, and um, I always think as Barker is he's a proper man. <laughs> he's a big fella. He's he's a proper proper guy, you know. And and he came to us, and he he just Bought in everything so quickly, and yeah. um, he just fitted straight into the team. And um, a couple of the lads knew him already, but great professional, um, intelligent man as well. Um, focus really focused on what he wanted to do, and um, but he worked really hard at what he was good at. Uh, spent a lot of time on the training pitch, practice, and things that he needed for a game. Hmm. Well,
0: straight into it then Mickey, um, and welcome tonight's guest, Richard Barker. Good evening, Richard.
2: How are you? Good. Yep. Yeah, good evening. I'm okay, thank you. Uh, good to hear from you both.
1: Yeah, nice to see you, Box.
0: How are you keeping? I mean, it's obviously a strange time for everybody in the world at the minute, isn't it? How are, how are things going in your land?
2: Yeah, um, it is very strange, obviously, you know, in terms of being still involved in the game. Uh, very fortunate. You know, they're very fortunate that we can still go to work, obviously, but, you know, in very difficult circumstances. Obviously, from a, a, a fan's point of view, having no fans in, you know, like that, that's what the game's about, really. So that's not ideal. But, um, yeah, managing to just about stay safe um, uh, and, again, in difficult times. But, uh, you know, we all class ourselves very fortunate that we're, we're providing a service that hopefully is putting a smile on people's faces during difficult times.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk about the, the fans not being there. Yourself and Paul Warren at Rotherham, you, 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 you're more or less fans of that football club yourselves, aren't you? You know, you've got that real attachment and you must be able to understand more than most what it means to to not be able to go along and watch the game themselves.
2: Yeah, I think between the two of us, we're just short, I think, of 30 years in at the club. Um, we both had two different spells as players. So I think all in all as a player, I was five years, I think. Warning, I think all in all I was nearly 10. Plus another nearly ten as a member of staff. So, wow. um, and he just actually clocked up his 200th game as manager. So, well, I think he did about 20 before I came. So, I'm probably about 108 as assistant. So, so I think yeah, we've got nearly 30 years between the two of us um, as uh, as association with the club. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's just not the same. And you know, we had a brilliant game on Tuesday night against Stoke where we drew three yeah. three. And the only thing that would have made that better was, you know, 12,000 people in there, you know, a night game underneath the lights, you know, a bit of drizzle on the pitch, a really entertaining game that could have been five each. And you get to the end of the game and you just sort of shake hands with everybody and go, "All oh, right, right, OK, you know, that, that's the end of the game. And unfortunately, that's the downside, really.
1: Parks, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people about when when you play a football match and it, there's no crowd there, it's like a practice match. It's like a, a game you would have in training. Yeah. And you watch it on the telly, atmosphere is like that. How do you get the players prepared for that? And and the question I was going to ask, do you think it helps sort of the clubs that have smaller crowds or
2: is it? Because uh, I yeah, know there's a lot, yeah. a
1: lot of stats saying that away teams are doing better in the pandemic, isn't there? They're going away because yeah. the big crowds aren't there.
2: Yeah, I I think it's had an effect in a couple of different ways. I mean, one game that springs to mind for me, we played Knott's Forest uh, just before Christmas, November time. We drew 1-1. If I'm being totally honest, if there was 25,000 at Knott's Forest, we'd have lost that game because they'd have sucked the ball in the back of the net. And I'm not, you know, that Knott's Forest were very good that night. Uh, I just feel that, you know, if there was a crowd participation in that game, it would have gone a different way. However, that may have also happened in a couple of our stadiums. It is there, you know, do the players admit a little bit of, you know, maybe struggling for the first five or ten minutes, you know, not having that roar when you run out, not having that, you know, if you have a shot and it just goes wide, you know, that, that, you know, input from the crowd that gives you that extra five or 10%. I think they do a little bit. However, you know, the argument is to say that it's the same for both teams. But the one thing I would say from a member of staff and as assistant manager point of view, we say all the time is that the wins aren't as good. However, you know, because, you know, we beat Sheffield Wednesday a couple of months ago on a, on a Tuesday night, first time for, I don't know, 60 years or something. We won 3-0. And again, you just get to the end of the game, you go, oh, good, that was three points. That would have yeah. been 12,000, 13,000. However, the defeats probably aren't so bad. You don't get as many season tickets sitting on the back of the <laughs> head that you've got beat. And, and, and as few, like, Uh, Barker and Warren, rubbish, get out you know. there's none of that the defeats aren't as bad but the wins are nowhere near as enjoyable and I feel for the lads at our club that some of them have worked so hard and it's their first season in the champ and you know the 25,000 at uh, Forest 25,000 at at Norwich they're playing in empty stadiums, they're playing in fantastic stadiums but with nobody in it and I feel for our lads a little bit because it's a chance of a lifetime for some of them and it's probably just a little bit flat
0: you know, I was just looking at your fixtures earlier on and, and, and the position in the league. To, in fact, Mickey, we could have waited a week and done them in person next week. He's up in Middlesbrough next week, I think. <laughs> That's right, yeah, we Wednesday could night, Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, obviously big games to come in the second half of the season for Rotherham this year.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's really difficult for us. You know, we, um, you know, without sort of speaking out of turn, the Championship's a tough league for us, really. Um, you know, we've managed to get promoted out of our last two years. Uh, and in, unfortunately, we've sort of become a bit of a known of a bit of a yo-yo club at the time being, and obviously our aim is to try and stay in the league. And then once you've got your first one out of the way, then who knows? So, um, but it's strange because she seemed to be, you know, every two weeks you're coming up against the next Premier League club. And sometimes we look at the fixtures on the board, and it's Swansea, Notts Forest, you know, uh, Bournemouth. I think we play Bournemouth and Norwich away in three days in a couple of weeks, and it's like, oh, you know, a couple, you know, a year ago there was two divisions between us and all of a sudden we've got a, you know, a rascal week of two ex-premiership teams. So, but no, it's really enjoyable. I, I always, as a coach, wanted to challenge myself against the best coaches possible. And, and at the moment, you know, we're getting that opportunity.
1: Marks, one of the things that you mentioned there about coaching and, and after games, the bit that, the, where it's easier when you win and you go in and see the manager of the team and you have a beer and you have a, a chat about the game. I'm at Blythe in a minute with Nelson and there's none of that i don't know whether at your level there's still you're still able to do it or you have to keep separate no. still.
2: yeah it's um uh, some people are a bit more um open to it but there's you know it, it used to be the thing you know you have to go yeah. in win lose or draw win five nil lose five nil go in and be humble uh, have a conversation thanks guys we'll have a quick beer you know we'll have, Nick one of your sandwiches and we'll go. Yeah some people are a bit more comfortable with it than others. And it is a, you know, a big part of the game that is missing, unfortunately. And, and some people, you know, just knock on the door and say, look, thanks. But, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, you try and cram, and it, and it's correct. You know, you try and cram 10 people, five members of staff from each football club in a small room, have a quick beer and, it's probably just not the right thing to do so yeah. Um, unfortunately yeah that is missing and and you know a bit of business gets done sometimes you know oh, i see so-and-so has been left out you know is he available and all that and or i've seen that so-and-so has been left out from so-and-so squad he might be available so yeah that social interaction is is missing and you know i think as you know we all have great admiration for each other you know you 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 will have good admiration for you know the manager that you're coming against you probably know um we're, we're the same and yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you're just your rivals for 90 minutes. You know, the game finishes. Well done, mate. Come on, let's go and have a beer. And unfortunately, at the moment, you know, you don't get that opportunity to share ideas and share stories. And it's a little bit more clinical.
1: Yeah, I remember John Hughes saying to me that when he came to the club, he was like, Mickey, we're always going to go for a beer, no matter whether we're going to lose. But your job when we go in is to try and find out why they set up or why they played like that against us. So try and get some insight, whether we won or lost, why they did it, and then try and that'll help us sort of plan for future games or maybe what other people yeah. are seeing about our team that we don't know. So it's not just always like, oh, shaking hands, having a beer. There's a few sort of, like you said, you, you're making connections or or trying to find yeah. things out after the game as well.
2: Yeah. And in fairness, mate, Warney doesn't disguise it very well. He actually gets <laughs> about halfway down his first drink and goes, right, tell us then. What was your plan today? And he's quite open about it. So, uh, But you, you, you're spot on, you know, uh, and it's it's quite useful to see how other people view your team. You know, yeah, and it, it is a good tool to come away and go, actually, do you know what? You know, the same people keep saying they target the same area that must keep showing up, you know. So that's a bit of a problem. So uh, you, you're right. And, the, and sometimes, particularly if you're not competing with that particular team in the league position, they're quite open and go, right, okay, you know, we've heard that, you know, this happens or that happens. And um, it is a useful thing to know.
1: Yeah. Box, Sorry, Simo, just tell us uh, at a club like Rotherham, I've been watching uh, Mourinho. I know I'm behind all or nothing thing on. And, and I was sat with Nick and she was like, would you like to work there? And I was like, I don't think I would. There's so many people. Yeah, like that, that, To high-five, must take them 10 minutes every day to high-five yeah. everyone. Yeah. What, is, yeah. what is the sort of staff set or what do you have at Rotherham? What
2: would a championship club like that be like? Well, you know, without sort of speaking out of turn, we are a relatively small championship club. You know, yeah. we've, we've uh, you know, obviously we're in League One last year. We are, you know, we're well aware of what we are. We don't try and be anything that we're not. So, you know, the general sort of staffing structure where we are is, obviously, Warren is the manager, and the assistant manager, we have a first-team coach and a goalie coach. We have two physios, two sports scientists, um, and a master. That right. is it. So so that it, I think all in all, if you include the kit man, there's 11 of us. So, you know, we all sit and have breakfast together predominantly from about quarter past eight till about quarter to nine in the morning. Somebody will be popping in and out. We get the whole general chit-chat out of the way in terms of, you know, you watched that on telly last night or whatever – and then, you know, round about quarter to nine, we all sort of go off into our individual rooms and, and have our own meetings. But yeah, and, and I quite like it like that. And you're right, you know, there must be people. I mean, I, I, I obviously was at Charlton before and I have, and I loved my time at Charlton. It's a fantastic club. However, there was people that I still didn't know the name of when I left. Yeah, And I was there for seven months, I think it was. And, you know, now <laughs> my son's obviously playing for them. It, it's, it's a fantastic club. But genuinely, I used to go in in the morning and go, I am. I am everyone was my mate because... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I came away, and uh, and obviously now, like I said, my son's there, and he'd say, "Oh, so was asking about the other day." I said, "Oh, was he there when I was there?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right. Okay. So, um, so I, I quite like it, and uh, you know, it definitely breeds a togetherness, and it, you know, yeah. we all look after each other, and that. So, uh but it, it's, you know, at uh, the top level, like you say, it's astronomical now.
0: It you know, yeah. always strikes me as a as a probably a good atmosphere to work in, because obviously I. I got to know you a little bit, Pearls, and know what a good bloke you are. Paul Warn always comes across as probably one of the good guys in the game as well. I can imagine it's a really good atmosphere to work in. Obviously, you know him. You know, he classes you as one of his best friends, I
2: think. Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of a sort of group of staff, um, obviously, I've known Warney for the best part of over 20 years we played together. And then Matt Hamshaw was the first team coach I played at Mansfield with, but then came, he, he worked his way up. He actually started as, I think, under-14s coach at Rotherham, then ended up really? as 18s, and then he's now first team coach. And then Andy Warrington, who's the goalie coach, played for Rotherham for, I think, five or six yeah. years. So we are, you have to, I think you have to get on, and, you know, Mickey will know this, in that, in uh, and I, I've been quite fortunate in the two people I've been assistant to, Carl Robinson at two clubs and now Warnie. Um I got on I got on with them because she spend so much time together. You know, you are, you know, we like I say, in a couple of weeks' time, we play Bournemouth away on a Wednesday night and Norwich away. There is a possibility that we could actually end up travelling on Tuesday morning and we don't get back until midnight on Saturday night if we end up staying in the South. Um, if you don't get on with that person and you don't have, and I'm not saying you always have to be best mates, but if you don't get on and, you know, you're not comfortable in that person's um, company for a large proportion of time. It doesn't matter how good you are or how good he is. It's, it's not going to work. You know, myself and Warnie and, and Hammy to a certain extent have jumped in the car, driven to Cardiff on a Tuesday night to watch Cardiff play. You know, you're talking about best part of twelve hours. If you don't get on and you're not comfortable having a conversation about things other than football it's not going to last. So I I, I can understand now why people employ people they trust, people they like, people who have to be good at what they do. But again, like I say, you spend so much time. I I see more of every member of staff than I do do my wife. So if you don't get on, you know, it's not going to last. Yeah.
1: Just talking about those two characters, I don't know either of them brilliantly, but Rob Owen Warner is a slightly different between the two as managers. I imagine there will be.
2: Uh, very different, very different. In fact, probably about as far um, yeah. as far different as you can get in terms of, uh, you know, by Paul's own admission, um, didn't really want to be a manager, ended up, you know, and he's an excellent man manager, a really, really intelligent guy who has no interest in coaching at all by his own admission. Uh, Carl, an excellent coach, um, a little bit sometimes, you know, off, and he's very inventive with his sessions um, and a real, you know, football I'm not saying Warnie's not, but what the the best way I always describe Warnie when they ask me about him is he could manage Barclays Bank, ASDA, you know, Eon, yeah. because he's a is an excellent, really intelligent people person who gets the best out of people. Whereas and you know, right, football, I, I want you know, he wants to coach and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, yeah, I, I've learned a lot from both of them as well, and I've learned a lot. But but yeah, you you spot on. Probably about as far apart in the spectrum as you could get.
0: So if we can just take your back, box to the to the start of your career and uh, and where it all got going for you as a as a footballer, um, Sheffield Wednesday.
2: Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that
0: like as an upbringing coming through at Hillsborough? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, firstly, it was my club. Uh, you know, very difficult to admit when you're assistant manager at Rotherham United because they're about six miles apart. So, but it was—I went to my first game there in 1979 as a four-year-old, but taken by both my my dad and my granddad, who had been, you know, my had been watching them since I don't know the 40s. So, so an opportunity to sign for him at 14 was, you know, an unbelievable dream, uh, and then stay there up to the age of 21. So, I'd do my schoolboy apprenticeship and then as a pro. And you try and explain it to people now. You look at, unfortunately, the plight of Sheffield Wednesday of where they are. Um, And I think my first season as a pro, we finished third in the Premier League and got to both cup finals. So as a young player coming through, uh, it's probably a bit like trying to get through at Man City or Chelsea now, uh, which is nigh on impossible. So, um, and, And in fairness, that was a decision made by myself, which was a heartbreaking decision to leave at the age of 21. But... I had loads of mates playing all over the place who were playing regular first-team football. And, uh, you know, I think we had, when I left, we had 17 full internationals in the squad. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was just a humongous club who was, you know, averaging 40,000 people through the gate every week. And uh, unfortunately, there was, um, I, I, what would I have been, about 21? There was this this young centre-forward um, who who uh, I I weren't that keen of at the time. He was a couple of years younger than me, and he managed to break into the first team and uh, scored a couple of fluky volleys. (laughs) And unfortunately... In the end, ended up becoming a bit of a, uh, a bit of a like he was like the new kid on the block and moved me from like that seventh choice to ninth choice centre forward. I don't really know what happened to him in the end. He ended up playing for someone else. And this, <laughs> is that true? He, did, he used to clean your boots there. He did. He'll deny it. He'll deny it. But yeah, I think he, I think he was a first year apprentice when I was a first year pro, and then. Uh, he when he would have got to about 17 18, uh, he he sort of leapfrogged me. I'd have been about 20 at the time, and he leapfrogged me. And that's when I realized, Look, I'm all right not getting in the team if David Hurst and Mark Brown, yeah, yeah, play instead of me. But if this young 17 18 year old gets in the team instead of me, it's about time I left, so I packed it. In.
1: Yeah. I had the, I, exactly the same at Middlesbrough. I think Barks, we're very very similar with our upbringings. Went to a club that started bringing internationals in this that and the other i remember brian robson saying to me like i want you to play a right back for a bit and, and i was playing center half at the time and three right backs got injured i'll never forget three right back, i was like right i'm in here and he brought a left back over to play right back and that was a time when i thought i have to leave i want to play i'm never going to play here so if they're playing the left back and right back in front yeah. of you it's time yeah. to go, isn't it?
2: well mine was actually i mean as well as humps obviously we were talking about earlier mine was actually slightly worse than that mate i I had a spell. I scored uh, 14 goals in five reserve games. And, you know, at the time, you're know, looking back now to do that, you'd be, I don't know, you'd be on everybody's list. But, you know, I was on no one's list. So, anyway, so I, I'm, uh, I'm in, I've scored 14 goals in five games in the reserves, thinking I'm going to get a chance here. There was a, a massive injury crisis. And uh, you, you two will definitely remember this uh, and maybe the slightly older uh, viewers and listeners. But I'm thinking, right, I'm in with the right chance here. But no, Trevor Francis decided he was going to play a centre-half up from Paul Warhurst. Oh, I loved Three him, months later. He,
1: was, he was one of my favourite players, him. I loved. Three him.
2: months later, he got in the England squad as a centre-forward, <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, I, I actually... Not only did they move a of me, they actually played a centre-half at centre-forward, so I had now an 18-year-old who played instead of me and a centre-half, so I thought, yeah, well, it's definitely time.
1: I had a, a similar thing at um, Middlesbrough that put, <laughs> instead of playing the young ones, they actually called the game off, so they, with, they had a, f- a few injuries and were supposed to play Blackburn... <laughs> And they were like, "Nah, we're not going there with a young team. We'd rather call it <laughs> off." And they actually got deducted three points and got relegated. Really?
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: Cost them relegation because they got done three points. But we trained on the Saturday morning. And yet there was, there was saying, no, we haven't got 11 players that can play. And with all these young lads are running around going, I'm desperate to play. I'm going to play, but they call <laughs> yeah, it off.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it couldn't have been any worse, mate. You might have nicked a draw and stayed up.
1: Well, probably not, but we wouldn't have lost well <laughs> as many points.
0: <laughs> there was a couple of other Hartlepool connections around Sheffield Wednesday in those days as well, though. I think Danny Wilson obviously was one of the, the, yeah. the players that I think you probably looked up to at the time. And it Was, it was Gordon Watson? Because Gordon Watson sent us a message to yeah. say, tell, tell Chester hello.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Flash, obviously, as he was known at the time, was um, he was sort of sort of third, fourth choice center forward, he was in and out. And uh, I ended up playing in the reserves with him for quite a lot. And um, I, the one attribute that I probably had at that particular time is that if the ball went up to me, you know, it used to come in and I used to stick a little bit. And like he just started this, and actually it was Flash who started the the nickname, actually. He randomly started this Chester thing, and it sort of stuck for a little bit, but uh, but yeah, so he obviously, he came to Hartlepool, didn't he, a few years later, but yeah. but Danny was, you know, again, he was a, a senior member of the team at that particular time of that, you know, 16, 17 internationals of, uh, you know, the, the strong midfield of uh, uh, Danny and John Sheridan and Carlin Palmer and people like that who were all internationals all over the place, so uh, and I think in fairness, you know, I played. I ended up playing for a couple of managers really who, who were part of that Sheffield Wednesday setup. So, uh, and obviously Danny was one of them and still arguably probably the best manager I've ever played for.
1: Yeah, I remember I actually played at one of my only games for Middlesbrough. I played at Hillsborough uh, in a quarter cup game. I think it was my second game and Flash was playing. I remember Carton Palmer played and we got beat 2-0, but we had a really young team out and Flash came through. He actually snapped my shin pad. And he come over, and I was like, I was in a bit of pain, and um, he come over, and I was expecting him to come and say, "Oh, you're right, son." He just walked over. He went, "That's why they call me fucking Flesh. <laughs> and I was like, "All right." Wow. And then when I got to normally a run, I was like, "Yeah, I understand what he's."
2: Yeah, yeah. There's loads <laughs> of different
0: reasons. I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine.
0: <laughs> well, you said Danny was the best manager. He said last week that I think I am might say that Barks was the best signing he made at Hartlepool as well. He
1: did. Yeah, yeah. He did. Yeah. Did he yeah. really? I, 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 I think. I think Danny's come come across with, with most of the players of that team as probably the favourite manager for most of them. You know, I was speaking to Bracker and a few of the other lads after the podcast with Danny on and just everyone loves him. Everyone, even yeah. like, a lot of people who who maybe moved on or he didn't play very often, still have that real sort of, oh, he's a great guy. And I think that, yeah. that sums him up, doesn't it?
2: Well, I took a lot from his coaching. I took a lot from his man management, the way that he treated people. I thought, I, and, I, and I agree with you. One of the things that you have just said then, Mick, is that I think the, the true test of when you ask manager, don't ask the player who plays every week. He's bound to say, I love him. He's a great manager. Ask the people who don't yeah. play every week. And they'll give you a true reflection of what they think of him as a manager, as a coach. Because if, if you don't get picked... But you still like him? Then you've been treated fairly. You liked it, you know. You you thought you improved as a player, but you understood the reasons he didn't pick you. That's all you can ask. And I think it's definitely a true reflection by asking people. Don't don't ask. You don't ask the one who played three hundred games for him, because they're clearly going to say, yeah, yeah. You know, he made me a lot of money, or yeah, he got me a promotion, or whatever it is. Ask the people who don't play, and if they say good things about people, then that's a positive. Yeah, definitely.
0: So after Hillsborough. Um... You went across the island for a little bit, didn't you? And then came.
2: I did yeah. And
0: settled in Brighton. So how did that all work out?
2: Yeah, I, I ended up. Um, I, I what? I think I was about second third year pro. I ended up going out on loan to a, a little team in Northern Ireland called Ards, uh, which I really enjoyed. By the way, it was you know my first sort of proper taste of playing in a game where results meant something, and it's a really little small town up um, just outside Belfast in Bank near Bangor. And it went quite well. I think I ended up scoring nine goals in 10 games or something. And then got to the end of the season, went back to Sheffield Wednesday, decided that, um, you know, it was time I went and played first-team football. And uh, I'd got a couple of offers from English clubs, but they didn't want to pay the transfer fee. And the manager at the time, David Pleat, just said, look, you know, we, we want a small fee for you. It was 40 grand or something. And two two Irish teams off the back of me um, having a relatively successful time as a, a, a small club uh, agreed to pay this morning and uh, Linfield and Portadown down with the two clubs and David Pleat got me in and said look you can go and play you know go go and sign for either of them you decide so Linfield rang me flew me out and then, uh, I don't know if you probably do know that Linfield's home ground is Windsor Park and I yeah. remember sort of walking through the door and thinking wow imagine playing here every week you know it's, it'd be great and we were used to getting six seven eight thousand people and um, I thought right I'm going to go over there reinvent myself a little bit at the time there was a few players that had sort of flitted backwards and forwards and done all right and I thought right I'm going to go over there and make a bit of a name for myself and and maybe someone might buy me back and unfortunately it didn't go quite go so well I, I was a full-time player I stayed full-time but the team was part-time so I used to fly backwards and forwards all the time I trained with Sheffield United and you know in the end I sort of just lost my way and I, I think uh, Brighton had a scout uh, who were based in Northern Ireland. They were desperate for a centre-forward at the time. Linfield were, like, trying to cut their costs in terms of not flying Big Bull backwards and forwards. Um, and I just had a phone call saying, look, would you want to go and say, try, train with Brighton for a couple of days? So, you know, I think they were really struggling. It was the year after they just stayed up, you know, the last kick of the game and all that sort of stuff in about yeah. late 90s. So I thought, look, yeah, you know, uh, if I don't take this opportunity, I'm going to have to, you know, I don't know where I'm going to go. So I've gone from sort of, you know, Top scorer in a premiership reserve team to 18 months later, thinking, look, you know, I'm going to have to reinvent myself a little bit. So came over to Brighton and um, I had six months on loan, ended up scoring a couple of goals to the end of the season, and then they made that deal permanent. So,
1: who was the, who was the manager then, Box? Because my memory's shocking as so well. Um, who, would, who would the manager that signed you then? Uh, It was Steve Grit
2: actually, who um, was a a genuinely... In fairness, I I could argue that um, he was probably as close to Danny as a person looking back now. And I didn't really know at that particular time, but looking back now, a genuinely really nice guy, a good coach, treated people in a really good manner. And back in the 90s, you know what it was like, mate. You know, there was a lot of, um, you know, (laughs) different different in terms of, you know, I'm going to use the word bullying, but it wasn't... it might be classed as bullying now, you know, in terms of the way that people were treated, you know, you're not in the team, so you're going to do three sessions a day or, yeah. you know, and unfortunately I had that, a little bit of that myself uh, a little bit later in my career. So, so, um, but, but Steve was a really nice guy and ended up, and he was the one that realistically kept Brighton in the league. He was, he, so he went from being worshipped as this, you know, he took over, I think ended up winning eight out of 12 games or something the year before to keep Brighton up. And then it didn't go so well, ended up losing his job, unfortunately. And Brian Orton took over. Um, It was sort of a very opposite character, very lively, uh, but, you know, enjoyed playing under him. And um, uh, I ended up finishing top scorer the following year. I think got about 12 goals in 30 games or something the following year. Um, But this is when I started to recognise that actually, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to go into coaching later. And I started then looking at the people that I was playing for and taking small pieces from them and and, and actually starting, not just about the sessions, just the way that they spoke to people and the way they treated people and things like that. Yeah. Even that early on in your career, you were already sort of of that mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think two things, really. I think one, when I was at school, I wanted to be a PE teacher. If I didn't make it as a football, I wanted to be a PE teacher. So I always wanted to do something in sport. That was important to me. I enjoyed helping people. So I liked trying to, you know, and then um. uh, the third thing, which is pretty obvious, I realized I weren't very good at football and I was definitely <laughs> about to retire at 35. So, um, uh, so, by the age of sort of 23, 24, I started looking for an exit strategy on the way out, thinking, Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah I, you'll I, not I, be retiring, it, mate.
1: Sounds familiar, box. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, all them and things, three things added together made me decide, right, you, you wanted to teach so you could coach. You want to stay in sport, and you're not very good at football, right? How about coaching? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that that was probably round about the time, really.
0: Once you went on from Brighton, you just. Um, at a one man mission against Hartlepool. You kept on scoring against Hartlepool, didn't you, for Macclesfield in a few Yeah, some, I think he someone might have missed
1: a couple of them games as well. Yeah, someone sent me a thing on Twitter today, box. It was like, can you remember this? And I was like, I looked at it and I was thinking of the game. No, I can't remember it all. And I was like, is that Barks scoring against us again? <laughs> Another one where but, it, you could have volleyed it clear, but he actually headed
0: it in about four inches off the ground.
1: Yeah, I think I was trying to kick his
0: head rather than the ball <laughs> <laughs>
1: just see it come sliding through. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, uh, I I really enjoyed my time there. I mean, unfortunately, while I was while I was at Brighton, um, my, my father got diagnosed with motor neurone disease, uh, and at the time, obviously, they were still living in Rotherham, so uh, I, it was a pretty big decision, really, to to move back up north to spend time with my dad um, during his sort of last year or two. And um, at the time, I had two opportunities, really. One was Macclesfield, who just got relegated. It was the time they'd gone. He got promoted out of the conference, yeah. then got promoted out of League 2 into League 1 and had a year in League 1, got relegated again. And um, the other option I had was uh, Oldham, who were in League 1 at the time. And if I'm being honest, like I look back now and if, if you know, maybe somebody else would have made this decision for the reasons I made it, and they look back and said, well, I, I, I didn't agree. But my, my two options were League 1 or League 2. And um, I just believed, I'd just had one full season in League 2 with Brighton. And I thought, I'm not sure yet that you're ready to go and score 15 goals in league one. I don't think you are. So I signed for Macclesfield and uh, thought, right, you've, you've had a go at the level gone, you know, go and then become one of the best center forwards in that division. And in fairness, I got in the PFA team of the year. My season got a a bit short. I, I twisted my ankle with about 10 games to go, but I think I ended up with 17 in 30 or something up till that time when I did my ankle. And then, um, uh, uh, and and looking back now, my I thought my, d- my decision was vindicate because I could have gone to Oldham and gone, yeah, yeah, I definitely want to play in League One and scored five in two seasons or something and being a squad player. But I just probably didn't quite have the confidence to say, go and be the best player in League One. So I thought, right, have one more season, make a name for yourself. And I, I came back the following year, I think scored 10 in 20 or something. And then that's obviously when they moved to Rotherham game.
1: Do you know what? It's so refreshing to hear you speak, Box, because you speak so much. Like, it's honest, but it's, it's sensible as well. You know what I mean? I was saying to someone before that you're an intelligent, you've always been intelligent. And, but I would love some of the young players to hear what you're seeing. Like, there's, we've got lads at who have been at big clubs and they think they're just going to walk into a Conference North team and, and they can't do it. You know what I mean? They, they, no. I just wish I could hear someone of your experience and has been in football so long. It's it's saying, look, I I know I'm maybe not ready for that level, but I want to keep playing at this level. So eventually I will be ready. Yeah, They can't just jump straight at the level that they want
2: to be at all the time. No, well, I mean, I wasn't the first name. I mean, I finished top scorer that year, but I wasn't the first name on Brighton's team sheet. And we finished mid-table in League Two. So I I just thought, look, you you don't have a God-given right to turn up into League One and think that you're going to score 15 goals. So... And it, it wasn't a comfort zone thing. You know, people aren't listening going, oh, you just want to stay in your come. No, no, because within fairness, within 18 months of Macclesfield, I moved to Rotherham and then we got promoted. I was actually playing in the championship within two years. So it was just about, you know, being able to go, look, uh, you know, make yourself stand out, make yourself be, you know, don't just be a bit part of something. Go and make yourself stand out and you you might get noticed, you know. And I was at a good age. I was, I think I was 24 when I went there. So looking back now as, as a coach, I look and I think, look, I was probably physically a bit more developed mentally. I understood the game a little bit more, um, you know, in terms of the, the social aspect of, uh, you know, understanding what I was in terms of part of the team was also important as well, which again, you know, like probably not everybody understands. So um, looking back now, it was, a, it was a good decision really.
0: Yeah. And, and moving on, as you say, you went to Rotherham, you had time at Mansfield as well. The, was, were, at Rotherham, did you have to play with Andy Monk? I was
2: there as well? I did, unfortunately. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we played together at Rother. He was a young lad. When I walked in the dressing room, he was about mm, 20 years of age, I think he was. But, you know, uh, equally as Larry, equally as lively, <laughs> but technically very good. And, and it's bizarre because, you know, I was with him. He would have been 20 to 24 when I was with him. Then obviously I went off to Mansfield for three years. Then met up with him and, uh, and 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 obviously at Hartlepool, but he changes a character. You know, I, I I turned up thinking he was going to be this larry, twenty seven, twenty eight year old. That all of a sudden, you know, but actually he would just grown up. So um, it, it it just shows you again, you know, you you the, the different stages of people's career about what they learn, not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well. So so yeah, all in all with the, what was it he was, two years at, two years at Hartlepool, four years at Rotherham, six years. Uh, Plus, actually, I got him a job at Rotherham a couple of years ago, coaching the under-15s. So, So yeah, I've been looking after him for 20 years. You're
1: telling me he was grown up when he came to Hartlepool?
2: (laughs) Mate, grown up, honestly, he was like chalk and cheese, mate, chalk and cheese. I wouldn't
1: want uh, to see the chalk. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, honestly, mate, I, I mean, in fairness, um, I mean, I, I went to his wedding about, what, eight, nine years ago. My wife's quite good friends with with Andy's wife still. And, you know, I, I went to Benidorm with, with Monks and a couple of the Rotherham lads last year. And uh, my wife would be the first to admit that she thought Aunt Monks was the biggest whopper in history during our time at Rotherham. Because she was like, how do you entertain this guy? But now she loves him. You know, yeah. she, 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 you know, all of a sudden we met up at Pool again. She's like, wow, yeah. you know, he is, that,
1: he, he is that character, though, that you do need to sort of peel a few layers back, doesn't he? He, he, he do. puts on that sort of bravado yeah. as sometimes I think is a little bit of a safety thing, but when you peel him back, he's yeah. a good guy under there, you know, he's right? a great guy, and, he would do I've, anything for you. Yeah, yeah, he is, yeah, definitely.
0: Well Peter think... James a, is, a, is a guy who was carry on in that. I'm pretty sure he's quite intelligent as well, you know, and he, I think he told me once when we did an interview that he if he hadn't been a footballer, he'd quite like to have been a teacher. I think one of his parents was maybe a teacher.
2: Yeah, yeah, his mom and uh, and Danielle, his wife's a teacher as well. Yeah. So um, he's not as daft. He's like what well, Mickey just said. That he's not as daft as he wants people to think he is. Yeah, he's yeah. not. And uh, I mean, <laughs> I had about an hour on the phone with him. <laughs> he, he, he rang me last week and we had an hour on the phone. We talked about all sorts of stuff. And uh, like I said, I went, I went to Bannerdome with him last year. And, um, you know, you get him on the right day. You can have some great conversations with him. And, you know, he, he, he knows about the game. He thinks about the game. And um, he's uh, like I say, he's just—he's not as daft as he wants you to think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think to be honest, there's been quite a few um, fans wanting him to come on here. Want him on, and we'll have to get him on at some point because he will yeah. be good value. He's got a few good stories, and we'll definitely get him on at some point. <laughs> so, so, Barks, fast forwarding
0: until you you move to to Hartlepool. Now, I know Mick, you'll be interested in this because it was a it was a kind of a strange transfer, wasn't it? Because I, I actually remember. Quite vividly, been in the Mansfield press box, and it was like a fairly open secret that Richard Barker, the following couple of days, was going to become a Hartlepool player. But you were lining up, I think, as captain of Mansfield.
2: Years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, just to rewind, sort of two or three months before yeah. that, um, I got a phone call from Peter Shirtley, who was the manager at Mansfield at the time. I, me and my wife—I mean, the, the kids are a bit grown up now, but I think the kids were all at school at the time, and it was my day off and me and my wife had just gone out for a sandwich and a coffee and my phone rang and it was Peter Shurtleff. Um and, and he said, look, mate." he sat down. And I went, yeah, yeah. He said, look, um, you're off. And I said, what? He said, you're off, mate. We've accepted an offer from Hartlepool. So I said, um, I mean, I don't mean this. in," I said, I don't want to go though. You know, I, I think my youngest daughter um, had just started a nursery. I think my son had just started primary school and my oldest daughter had just started secondary school all in the same year. So I said, well, I don't want to go. I enjoy my time. I'm captain. I play every week and my family are settled. He went, I get that, mate, but we've accepted the offer now. You're going to have to go. So, all right, okay. Anyway, turned up on the Thursday and it was all like, look, you know, you collect your boots and all that sort of stuff. Bizarrely, no one said anything to me. I think I played on the Saturday at Bristol Rovers. I think we drew four, four, scored two. And and then, like, literally, no one said anything to me again. It it was like, you know, I, I had to just turn up and just go, right, okay. (laughs) <laughs> and I just carried on playing, and, and, and it was like. And it never got it, mentioned again. Like, never got mentioned again, mate. Never got mentioned again. And I'd gone from, right, you know, you might have to come and collect your bag in about half an hour's time to, well, no, nobody knows anything about it. And I was captain of the team 48 hours later, and no one ever spoke to me again. So that was a bit that was about October time, and you know, meanwhile I'd got my wife going. We're not moving. We're not moving. They we're not. Yeah, I going you, you,
1: You're not going to push it, though, box If you don't want to go, you're not going to go and see. Yeah. Is that move still on?
2: Oh Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think I I, I I think I just signed a new contract. I I just signed a three-year contract that summer. Uh, so you know, there was no you know there was no need for me to to go and do that. So. So, uh, and then obviously, as, as you've just uh talked about there, that, that game on New Year's Day, which was bizarre, and in fairness, like you guys are on some run, weren't you? You won yeah. seven in a row without conceding a goal or something, had not you? Yeah, and um, uh, and then the rumours had obviously started again, and um, uh, I, I think I'd spoke to Billy Dearden had now taken over as manager, He unfortunately, got the sack just before Christmas. Now, Billy and Danny are like that, aren't they? they they best mates, Billy Dealey yeah. and Danny. So whether whether the deal was done before the game or after, I'm not sure. But I, I got told um, two days before the game, if you are on the team sheet, the deal is off. If you're not on the team sheet, the deal is on. <laughs> right? Now, at half past one, I still didn't know if I was playing or not. So I am sat there waiting for the team to be announced, thinking, well, this is not only going to tell me whether I'm playing in the game, this is actually going to tell me whether I'm leaving or not. Because if it comes out that this is the team and you're not on it, it's like, well, I might as well leave now then because I'm off. So the team gets announced and I'm on it. And I'm, and I'm captain and I'm on it. Right, okay then. So I'm playing the game and I literally just get told after. In fact, James came in, the physio, and said, uh, your medical's at one o'clock tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. <Mark." laughs>
1: yeah, Parks, I remember, right. at, at, we were talking about this last time with Danny going into the, sort of the, when you go in as captains, you meet the referee, you hand the team sheet over. I remember oh. thinking... After this game, he's going to be on our team. And I was sort of thinking, this is brilliant because I like him. He's going to be a good player for us. But is he going to, is he trying today? Is he going to try and score against well, us? Like, is he going to try and beat us because he knows he's coming? It was a bizarre yeah.
2: situation. It, it was, and do you imagine if I'd have scored and you'd drawn one-one and we didn't get promoted by two points? You know, like, and, and in fairness, looking back now, and it sounds awful, this, but I thought I was put in a very difficult position, really, yeah, because yeah, definitely. Uh, you know I had literally been told if you're on the team sheet, mate, the deal's off. So you know, I, it was a bit like, well, I might as well, you know, give it a right good go here. Then obviously, <laughs> you know, you always try your best, but um, and and there's a picture, and Monk still talks about it now. There was a picture in the paper as you know, I'd sort of assumed I was maybe off. So after the game, the fans sort of shout you over, Oh, are you leaving? Are you leaving? And a couple of people start shaking your hands. And there was a photo and it was on the back of the paper. And every time now we've got a Benny Dome group chat, if ever I like, there's a chat going on and I'm not on it. Monks will go, he's still shaking people's hands in Mansfield. He'll be on in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was absolutely bizarre. And the, the next day I was, I don't know, at the Scotch corner, I think, or something. I had my medical or something like that. And, um, there we go. The rest is history.
0: <laughs> what can you remember about those early days walking into the dressing room? That because as like you say, they were on a. I think we were in the in the process of building that twenty three game unbeaten run at the time. So it's probably daunting to, to move clubs as a footballer anyway, but to come into a dressing room on that kind of run, what was that like?
2: Well, it, it was difficult because all I kept thinking is, dumb balls this up for him. You know, like, you know, it was, it was going to get, you know, in fact, I think we drew my debut. Was it Shrewsbury away or something? We drew and I'm thinking, oh God. Yeah, that was, that was (laughs) a
1: game I was on about last week with Danny when I asked him to take us off. Because half time I was having that bad a game. I was like, get us off. Yeah, it was, we drew 1-1. It was absolute sandpit of a pitch.
2: Mod like that one mate. and yeah. uh, we we ended. And I, I remember, right, like Monks was like, "Mate, you've killed us here. We haven't conceded a goal. <laughs> We've won every game." And you have turned up, and it's so, so a, a lot of pressure really. Not not just you know, obviously the feed to a certain extent, but also the expectation. I, I think I was top scorer in the league at the time, and so you think, right, this team who have won seven in a row, supposedly have signed the best striker in the league, and all of a sudden it's going pear shape So. And, and and I didn't, you know, by my own admission, didn't get off to a great start. I think people thought I was going to come in and score, I don't know, 20 goals in 20 games and we would win every game. And unfortunately, it, it, I, I was a bit of a slow burner. And in fairness, the squad was unbelievable. You know, it was a league one squad, really. The squad that had been built. You know, we had two players almost for every position. I thought the football we played was the best football I've ever seen in League Two ever. Um, and there was no bad players bad players in the team. And it, I remember walking in through the door going, I'm not sure I'll even get in this team. I might have made a mistake here. <laughs> so um, a bit intimidated is probably the answer of, you know, how did you feel when you turned up? I remember
0: saying to you a couple of times, though, in an interview. I remember when you were actually, when you were Bury manager, we did the interview and I said that it was probably a feature of your personality that you, you do tend to put pressure on yourself in situations, put pressure on. So you, when you come in there, you were probably thinking about that quite a lot, whereas... Other people may just go in and go well, you know what I'll do what I can. Where you actually really felt that,
2: that when you went in there, you wanted to try and have your own impact. Yeah, well, I did. I mean, I, I mean, in fairness, I would have, I would have accepted, you know, not scoring any goals and um, you know the team keep winning and, and we get promoted because that's what I was brought in for. And in fairness, if the goals were spread around and I didn't, I didn't score and, and we won, then you know the, the achievement or we'd achieve what what was set out. So. But um, yeah, I, I, I just, I did feel a bit of an expectation. I did feel, you know, that, uh, you know, I, firstly about, oh, God, I don't want to go in pear shape because I've turned up. But secondly, you know, that little bit of a weight of, you know, signing the top scorer in the league and paying money for someone at that particular time that, you know, it was an even bigger expectation, really. So, but luckily I had a good group of people around me. Um, you know, it's amazing because you look back now, we were all about the same age. You know, yeah. like, I don't know, I think me, Mickey and, and even Willie, I think we're all literally almost the same school year. Yeah. Um, so, um, so and then people like, you know, Monks and Trigg and, and Clarky and Nels, probably just a little bit younger underneath. So looking back now, it was it was good recruitment of, you know, a group of people who were desperate to go and get to the next level. Um, but, you know, a, a real strong squad you know, must be one of the strongest squads that's ever been put together in League Two and certainly the best footballing team.
1: Yeah. I think from, from our point of view, we, we were never in doubt Like welcoming Barks into the group because we'd all played against him. We knew who he was. And we yeah. knew It didn't matter if he didn't score in two or three games. We knew we would be doing something to help the team. And it, 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 it was never like a, a worry. Sometimes you sign players and you don't know much about them. They, they might have come from somewhere you don't know. But we, when Barks stepped in the building, everyone was comfortable with it. And it was, we, we know he'll help us to what we want to do, which is get promotion, which is what happened in the end. And I think the group we had at the time welcomed everyone anyway, but they were even more comfortable with Bach coming in because, like I said, we'd played against them and we had that real like respect for them coming in
2: as a player. Well, it was a good group of people. Um, You know, and in fairness, I can honestly say I don't think anybody um, didn't make me feel welcome. Um, and, and everybody went out of their way and... You know, there was never any major comments about, you know, if I went a couple of games without a goal or anything like that. And and Mickey's writing that sometimes, you know, if somebody comes into the team and you think, look, I'm desperate to get promoted here. I don't care who they bring in as long as it's someone to help me get promoted. And, you know, all I want to do was, was help. Uh, you know go on the run that 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 you know I think you'd started at 17th in the league or something aren't you was it October yeah. time when yeah. you started on that run yeah. so um you know to to go on that run and you know uh but, but the longer I was there I think probably a month further down the line I started to feel a bit more comfortable and I started to feel a bit more confident and um uh you know and then you know you start then contributing you know you contribute your first goal I think it away I think or something we drew and then uh, you, you get your first goal, then you get your first goal that earns a win, and then all of a sudden you think, right, look, I'm actually contributing towards the points total now, and and that, that settles you down then. Well,
1: Parks, one of, oh, sorry, so one of the things that a lot of people wanted to ask you is about you taking penalties, that that was a thing, that you never missed a penalty. What a lot of people won't know is how much practice and the, the how hard you practice at the penalties. I remember you worked with Brian, and putting yeah. peg, pegs on the back of the net and, yeah. and visualising where you're going and, and spending hours and hours and hours on practising these penalties for when you, when you had to step up in a game. Do you want to talk us through like what the yeah. actual session well, was?
2: It, it, it's bizarre because, actually, I think you'd had major penalty issues, hadn't you, before I turned up? And the first question Danny asked me when I turned up was, uh, will you take penalties? And I remember thinking, oh, God. I'm not sure about that. It was all right at Mansfield when I was captain and I was going to play every week. And in fairness, we probably weren't expect to get promoted. Now, all of a sudden, he's gone, We take you? I think you'd miss like five in a row. I think Joel had missed one, then Brownie had missed one, then F had missed one. And I was thinking, All oh, right, okay. So I, went, I, wouldn't yeah, get okay, yeah.
1: I was up next to him. I was confident as
2: well. <laughs> it was you or Dimmy, I think. So, um, so I said right, okay, then go on, I'll give it a go. And then I think my first actual penalty, bizarrely, uh, or one of the first, was the Lincoln game when we needed to not get beat to break to break the record, and we yeah. were one 0 down and got a penalty in the ninety third minute. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, oh my god, the whole of the last five months of the work of everybody trying to break this non-beat, you know, unbeaten club record rests on a ninety third minute penalty. So, um, but yeah, Mickey's right. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's a skill that I believe gets massively overlooked. And uh, we were quite fortunate that, that Danny brought in uh, Brian, who was the, the psychologist that we did some work with. And I just thought, look, you know, I, I genuinely believe that there's at least 50% of, of penalty taking is psychological. It's about confidence and calmness and things like that. So we we, we worked on that quite a lot. And looking back now, we actually got more penalties than probably I, I remember to a certain extent. And they probably played a, a vital part in, you know, some of the wins or some of the draws that got us over the line. Um And I'm sure if you probably ask someone like Monks, he'll say, oh, yeah, you only scored penalties. You didn't, you didn't score any from free play. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was pressure. It was, you know, it was. And particularly that Lincoln one where you're thinking, you know, the whole build-up was about, you know, we need to make sure we don't get beat for this. And then, you know, everybody thought the game was over and this penalty materialised. And as a little secret, just to let you know, sometimes when the penalty was given, I'm thinking, no, please don't give a penalty. You know, if it's tight, you're thinking, <laughs> you know, and, and that's, the, that's the demons in your head when you're the penalty taker. And, you know, when everyone goes penalty and, and, and then you look at the video and I'm not claiming for a penalty, so you go in there. Uh, <laughs> Don't give this, don't give, the, give the, this.
0: The good thing about what you're saying there, about being calm and everything, I, I, I know Rick, Mickey's just said you didn't miss I think you missed, I think I'm right in saying you missed two at Hartlepool. One one I'd totally forgotten about, erased from my memory, and we'll talk about that in a bit, I suppose, the, the game where you missed. But the one where you missed against Accrington at home. Accrington.
2: And then I scored again, we
0: got one in the second half. But the second half, I've never seen a penalty hit as venomously as that second one <laughs> in the second
2: half. Well, yeah. there's... The, there's a, quite a funny... Uh, so so I, I wasn't going to tell this story because Mickey had, had politely told everyone that I'd never missed, even though in the back of my head I knew I had missed. So <laughs> It um, just shows
1: the, my memory box. I was, I was just being <laughs> nice.
2: But the the funny one about... So we're playing Accrington and uh, we get a penalty in the first half and it was the only time ever in on in, in all the penalties that I took that I actually missed the target. I ended up putting it wide. So at half-time, um, we're drawing 0-0 with Accrington and I'm sat there and I'm like... <sighs> probably cost us the game here and you know this is a this is a nightmare and in fairness Brian came over like you know what's your problem yeah missed a penalty yeah so what you might get one in the second half so you need to refresh okay fine anyway we do don't we so I'm running I'm running into the box and their centre-half comes brings me down and you know when uh, exactly as I've just been saying there you think you don't give a penalty I'm saying to ref he got a touch of the ball. So so the ball goes away. The ball goes away. Obviously, I've missed one in the first half. It's still nil-nil. And funny enough, the goalkeeper, Dave Martin, was uh, he was the goalie for Accrington. He actually ended up as our goalie at MK Don. So I've had this conversation with him. So uh, the, the, the ball goes away, and Willie Boland runs over and picks the ball up, right? So I'm stood there, dusting myself down. like. So I see Willie run over, and I'm thinking, brilliant. Willie's going to get me out of jail here. He's going to come over to me and say, don't worry about this, mate. I'll take it. I went, so I'm thinking, oh, I'll just stand here. So Willie goes, picks the ball up, walks over to me. And then he went, good luck, mate, like that. Gave me the ball and walked off. And I was like, oh, so my pulse rate had gone from like 50 to 350 in about five seconds. And I'm thinking, he sucked me in here thinking, Willie's going to go, don't worry about this, mate. I'll take it. I'll, I'll save you the embarrassment. And he literally turned his head, gave me the ball and walked off. <laughs> So, yeah, look, I just thought, look, I'm going to have to put a bit behind this. And uh, look, I think we actually ended up winning 1-0. I think he won the game in the end. At the key, Dave Martin didn't even dive, did he? Because it was in the net. Before. No. He
0: just stood there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I did mention that to Dave a few times during training in MK, so. Luckily, went know,
1: where it's meant to go. I've been lucky enough. I had, uh, Tommy Miller played for Hartlepool. Tommy took penalties and, and Tommy didn't miss many and he took quite a few. But my favourite penalty story, and uh, Peter Beadsley played for Hartlepool for uh, three or four months. And we are playing a, a, like a Johnson's Payne Trophy game and it, it went through a penalty shootout. So the lad's like, Peter, you go, you go first. And he took it, missed, and he's walking back and he's like shaking his head. And one of the lads went, Unlucky Peter. And he went... Oh, well, it doesn't matter. I've scored one in the World Cup semi-final and just walked <laughs> off. Just, just walked off. I like, well, oh, I man, can't thanks. have that to Pray my off. resume for definite. I can't
0: have that. I think if we're going to talk about goals and, and, and stuff, the, the, there's, there's obviously one goal of your Hartlepool career that stands out more than most and we'll get to the Wickham one in a minute. But the goals at Stockport that you scored, that was some yeah. game, wasn't it? When you're talking about protecting yeah. the unbeaten run and you're 3-0 down, in the world's caving in and then it was just incredible i mean i don't know mickey mickey will probably tell you he can't remember it so far.
1: i can't i can't can yeah. remember it because i got dragged off at half time yeah. that game oh no! Oh,
2: that was the changing point in the game
1: yeah it's because because dimmy was he couldn't speak very well he was remember he had that throat thing and he came out for the third goal and i thought you should have stayed back at half time I've gone in and started shouting and Big George has come over and started looking at us and, and then Danny went Mickey just come off and I was like oh fair enough <laughs> yeah but I still yeah, blame I, I still blame Dimmy for all them like
2: yeah yeah definitely I, I, I do remember the game I think I think we were awful for about 40 minutes if I might be yeah. right I think I scored just before half time and you know when people talk about it changes Monk's the got, team talk
0: Monks got the goal
2: did you Or did Monks get it and I scored two in the second half was yeah, yeah. it yeah but, I, I, you know, when you talk about a goal change as a team talk, I think if we'd have gone in 3-0 down, you know, I, obviously, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a great place to be. But all of a sudden, it was a bit like, look, we can't play that bad again. We can't. And if I remember, I think we were excellent in the second half. And my, one the, of my biggest fair, regrets...
1: To be fair, box, it didn't t- change the team talk for me. I still got dragged <laughs> off.
2: <laughs> well, I think uh, my, one of my biggest regrets, was I think I actually hit the bar in the last minute or the right. eighth, fifth minute. Yeah, or
1: we should have won, yeah. We yeah. should have
2: won. And, um, but, you know, after 40 minutes being 3 0 down, we'd have definitely taken that. But I just think that, you know, to be successful, obviously, you know, everyone talks about ability and everybody talks about, you know, organization, but people definitely underestimate desire and team spirit and togetherness. And there was a point where I think that that group was, look, I am not going to be the one that lets us down. I'm not, you know, and it might be, you know, Mickey one week and it might be Ulms the next week and then it might be F the following week or whatever it is. But everybody was like, look, I'm not letting this team down. And I think that dragged us through, really, because we we were, were, there's no getting away from, as a footballing team, they were excellent. But as a group of people who were saying, look, I'm not going to let my mate down and I'm not going to let that team down. And somebody every week was just the one that stood up and, and be counted. But, you know, things like, you know, not conceding from set people, or, you know, if someone lost their man, they helped him out and all that. I, I think that's probably one of the games that epitomises the group then.
1: Yeah, I've been watching a lot of football things when in lockdown and listening to podcasts. And and the one thing that group had that you hear people talk about is people weren't scared to have that argument or have that confrontation yeah. with someone because maybe they hadn't they'd let the man go. But it was all done in a way of, well, I'm having this argument now. We'll get sorted out and we'll move on.
2: And yeah. it was—I
1: remember that there was there was loads of times in that season where there was confrontation. I remember having a big argument, at, at one point, and but it was done for the good of the team, and no yeah. one—it it never got carried out till like nope. the next week or anything like that. It was nope. like because I think like you said, box—we're all the same age. We're all like men at the time, yeah. and we knew that if you were having to go at me, there was a reason behind it. It wasn't yeah. just a per—it wasn't, it wasn't a personality personal. thing. No, not at all. And I think that is a real strength of a team when when that situation can happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't go on that unbeaten run, really, just with ability. You don't, you know, there's a reason that Liverpool now uh, are 67 games or beaten or whatever it is at Anfield. And in, all in, in, just because they're good players, by the way. You know, they've had some last-minute equalisers, some last-minute winners, you know, some, some nil-nilers where you just go, look, we weren't great today, but we've made sure that we've not got beaten that. And I think that, you know, that was something that that group had.
0: yeah. And obviously everything that, that that group had and the 23-in the, the game unbeaten run and everything led towards that game at Wickham in April um on my 27th birthday, I keep telling people. Oh, brilliant.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, that, was only,
0: that
1: was only three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: at, at Wickham and, and that one nil win. I mean, what are your memories of that, um, box? Because that was some day, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, it was funny enough. Um, uh, my 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 son showed it me on YouTube. It was on YouTube, or he was looking for something the other day, and something came up, and you know, it sort of gives. Oh, have a look at this. Have a look at this, and and he he, he one of my goals was on or something. And I said, oh, have a look for the Wickham game. So he he showed it me, and um I mean, I I don't know if Mickey thinks this, but I I think. Uh, like the one the one regret about playing when we played was it's a lot harder to find the footage now would I would I like to look back now and you know watch footage of that season yeah I would but yeah, yeah, it's definitely. not as easily as accessible you know everything's on youtube now isn't it? you know like wait, one of our lads scores a goal it's on youtube within 3 minutes it's on twitter within 2 minutes and yeah. you know i suppose one of my regrets a little bit really is that we we can't go back now and, and view like the people can but in terms of that game, you know, I, I think um, I, I remember the goal literally like it was yesterday, you know, Monks' cross. And I remember as the ball was in the air just thinking, look, all you have to do is edit down. And people say to me all the time, it looks like you, you nearly missed. And I was like, look, I knew the goalkeeper could get it. So all I had to do was make sure I didn't edit over. And I did overcompensate a bit and edit it to the floor. Right. I just knew that as long as I didn't edit over, it was going in.
0: Um, I've got you. You were in the commentary box, Mickey, and I, I'm I was. Yeah, forgive me because you have both got headphones in, and I don't know how loud this is going to be. But this is the commentary, and, and, and it was. It's always <laughs> me. But this is the commentary from from that game. Right. If just get it on. Hold on a second. If it's too loud, tell me.
2: Fine. <laughs> <laughs> went, so you why know what? didn't you play Mickey were you injured or suspended
1: no I think I just left uh, squad rotation
2: <laughs> ah rested
1: yeah I think so the was. is for some important games after that just in case do you know what stands out for me in that clip as well and I know this
0: is weird but I remember and I don't know why I remember this so, qu- so clearly but when just after you'd signed um, you had a conversation with me where you said you'd quite like to be Richard rather than Richie
2: yeah, now yeah. I think you've probably yeah.
0: given up on that given that that every yeah, Simo,
1: Simo, you're the only person. That I, <laughs> I only, I know the so, band,
0: yeah, the player. Honestly, a new player said to me, I want to be called Richard Barker, and I said, Right, fair enough. So, if you look back at every single piece of audio website program from your right. time at Hartlepool, not once will you be referred to as Richie. Do
2: you know it's weird because, um. I, I was I was I was at Richie at the Sheffield Wednesday, and a little bit of that was because we had an assistant manager who was also called Richie Barker. So I ended up getting transformed from Richard to Richie. Then Hums came through the team, so then it was a bit like, oh, we got two Richies, so that's fine. <laughs> then I went to Brighton and I was continued as Richie. And then um, I, I would, I'd I'd had a right good go at trying to say to people, look, it's Richard, it's Richard, right? It's Richard, right? Okay, well you need to speak to the press because it's the press who print the thing. Right? Okay, no problem. So, yeah, okay, great. And we were getting right to the end at Brighton where they went, it's uh, Richard Barker. Yeah, Richard Barker, good, right. Okay, I left, signed for Macclesfield and they went, and our new signing, Richie Barker. And I went, oh, <laughs> it's all been a waste <laughs> of time. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Sorry, I've derailed you because that day at
0: Wickham needs more talking about, doesn't it? The fans and everything about that day was just... Yeah. I think every seat was taken, wasn't it? It was 850 fans there. yeah.
1: And what it was, it was just sort of the perfect goal to, to score, to, to, do you know what I mean? To celebrate for as well, wasn't it? Because, uh, even us when we're watching, uh, as soon as the cross comes in, you think, that's a goal. Do you yeah. know what I mean. So the yeah. fans' I mean, anticipation was
2: already there, wasn't it? I mean, it was a great ball from Monks, but I wouldn't tell him that, but it was a great ball. But you're right, look, would it, would it have made the same if it was at the other end? You know, I'm not so sure. And... And for 850 people to travel, you know, what what is that? Must be 350 miles each way or something. The Best part of a near 700 mile round trip. Is it Easter was it? I think it was around about Easter time, wasn't it? it was or something 40. like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it
2: was Easter. So, you know, for, for near on a thousand people to do a 700 mile round trip is absolutely unbelievable. So, um, and yeah, I, I'm grateful that It was in front of the fans because it, you know, it it meant a lot. And but, but I think equally as well, the celebrations that we all did afterwards in front of the fans, um, and to include the fans, you know, would it have been the same if it was in front of you know 150 of them away at Stevenage on a Tuesday night or something? Probably not quite. But you look back now, really sunny day, every seat taken, all the squad was there to be able to celebrate in front of the fans was something that I think, in fairness, I think has kept this group together as well to a certain extent. You know, we had the the bit of a reunion a couple of yeah, years yeah. ago and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, may, maybe those small details are what probably made it a little bit more special.
0: It, certainly, it certainly was a lot different from the previous promotion, Mickey, wasn't it?
1: Was
2: it?
0: <laughs> oh, oh, can you I'll have to tell Mickey
1: what it, So in 2000... Oh, yeah, yeah, got, yeah, yeah. when well, we got promoted Scunthorpe. Got promoted Scunthorpe on a deal Yeah, yeah, that, okay. was, that was a nightmare. We got, we got battered 4-0. <laughs> right, 4-0, I've got in the dressing room with New and we're having the biggest, like, biggest argument in the world. And there's a couple of players, like, sat in the middle of it. And then he turned, just turns around and went, where is everyone? So we walked out on the pitch. And half the lads have by now found out we've been promoted. So half the lads are out celebrating. And me and Newley having a massive <laughs> argument there. And it, it was just the worst possible way to get promoted. Because yeah. it yeah. wasn't until we won the next game that we actually felt like we could celebrate. Because we've been yeah. absolutely battered.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's one thing that we all have to be grateful for, that we won the game. You know, I, I, and, you know, obviously getting promoted is is, is what you get judged on and, and rewarded for over 46 games. But is it nice to celebrate that promotion because you've actually won the game as opposed to, oh, actually, we're just waiting for a result to come in and yeah. they've got beat. So we've stayed. I mean, it, it, you get to the same thing in the end. But looking back now to celebrate on that particular day with that group of people that you spent so much time and worked so hard with, but for loads of reasons of the win and the, the fans and the, you know, the promotion, it just added to it, I think.
0: Can Can yeah, you describe definitely. that that moment? i always intrigued by this because that's never going to happen to me. But um, that moment where the, you've headed the ball, it's in the roof of the net and you've got up, you do a little skip in your celebration because you're so excited as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it must be amazing, that emotion.
2: Uh, it, it was. I mean, I mean, I ran over to Monks, but... And I have a bit of a pet hate for things like this is that, you know, if someone crosses the ball for me to score, then I should go over and thank him. So if you look back at most of the goals that if it came from a cross, predominantly, I would normally run to that person. And and that's my first part of the celebration is to thank them for the cross. So, so I ran over to Monks, but actually that skip was, I thought Monks was going to jump and he thought I was going to jump and we both jumped and it looked a little bit like not great if I'm being totally honest, but I think, I think after that, you know, the, The whole, you know, it was fairly late on, wasn't it? I mean, mean, it wasn't right at the end of the game, but it was fairly late on. I think after that, all you're thinking is, look, you know, don't let them score. Please don't let them score. You know, like, what is it nice from my own personal point of view to be the person who scored the one goal on that particular day that got promoted? Yeah, it was. But we were going to get promoted either way, whoever scored the goal. But, you know, you're just thinking, look, the, the, the feeling is that good. Please don't let them score in the last minute and it'll be a bit flat.
0: One of the features of that run and your goal scoring as well, I remember, was you're always wanting to know whether MK Dons had scored any goals, and who oh, because or. of um, Izzy McLeod.
2: Yeah, uh, and 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 I actually lost, believe it or not. We we drew, we drew with the golden boot, and he got it because he played one game less, uh, because he got a full game, really? game sent off, and and actually when I went to yeah yeah. And when I went to MK, I was now a a, a club ambassador, and he reminded me of it all the time when I used to bump into him. And he he got a phone game man, and I actually remember saying, like, it wasn't my fault he got sent off. He should have stayed on his feet or whatever it is he got sent off for. But he got the golden boot because he did it in theory in less games.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. I know. Yeah, yeah. crazy, that, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah. I I thought they should have shared
0: it, really. It seems a bit daft, that, but...
1: Yeah,
0: I remember that being. I'm not bitter about it. I, I mean, I don't want <laughs> Sorry to, to bring remember. that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, after the after the Wickham game, the the full focus then was on going for the title, wasn't it? And you know, oh, I, I know what you're going to bring up now. Yeah, well, obviously, that game, the penultimate game of the season, was the one that was really harmful, wasn't it? You know, not only did we lose at Rochdale, but we lost. Yourself to a sending off. We lost Monks to a sending off. I think that uh, we picked up an injury in the game as well. I think Nels went off injured. So we went into that last game of the season really to play. What can you remember about that that afternoon? Because we had so many highs during 2006-07. But that one was a strange afternoon, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, awful, mate. Awful. Um, I don't know if there was a little bit of, of relief um, that we'd got over the line. And I look back now and I talk about you know not letting people down and i have actually had this conversation with my kids loads of times and and I talk I always say it's literally the worst game worst game of my career and you know obviously to sum it up, I missed a penalty gave a penalty away and got sent off and you know and and in theory just to add a little bit of cost as a league title so um you know, to to go from you know like high you're talking about to score the winning goal to get a team promoted and then the following week to miss a penalty, concede a penalty and get sent off and cost the league title the following week, was um yeah uh, not great, not great and um and obviously to top it off the the slightly funny side of the story, albeit isn't funny, but I obviously got sent off, walked down the tunnel, went and sat in the dressing room and I knew there was about I don't know 20 minutes to go. So I'm sat there I think, oh, no, us a league title here. This is like, this is absolutely. And again, all you're thinking is, I've let all my mates down. They, 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 they're going to get a winner's medal and now all of a sudden they're not and all that sort of stuff. Five minutes later, the door opens, slams open. And um, I'm thinking, I swear there was 20 minutes left when I was got sent off. There's no way the game's finished already. Monks comes in, six down. I went, is the game over? He went, no, I've been sent off as well. I'm like, what's <laughs> the I said, what you done? He went, lost my head, two-footed someone. I went, oh, mate. We sat looking at each other going, and, and in fairness, you know, I, I I think Monk's had as much of an influence when he turned up as as I did, obviously, in terms of, you know, obviously trying to help the team over the line. But all of a sudden you had two people who thought they'd played an important part in it, actually ended up, you know, costing the league title. And uh, we sat there looking at each other going, what have we done, mate? What have we done here? <laughs> So Danny didn't speak to me for three weeks because obviously I was suspended for the game the following week. He didn't actually speak to me until next pre-season. That, that monk sent it off was that?
0: Am I, am I making this up? Was there a guy called John Doolan, or is that? Is that? Am I mixing memories here? That he got was, was it
2: sent off as well. I can't. I'm, I'm I know. It. I think they had a bit of a fight, and then Monk's two-foot. He went as soon as you got sent off, mate. Me Ed went. He said, "Oh, I ran over a 2 foot and someone." I went, "Ah, oh, brilliant."
1: That wasn't the only time Monk's still footed anyone knows so there, no, there could be a few not. could be a few to choose from.
0: What did the definitely rest of the you said Danny didn't speak
2: to what was the reaction of the rest of the players? Um as you would expect from a really good group really which was you know look you know these things and these things can happen you know um and uh, um I, I, I mean they they were polite uh, albeit not quite sure what they said when I weren't there but they were you know they were as good as gold but um yeah, I, I just think there was so much like, you know, we, we got over the line and we were all desperate, obviously, to finish it off. And look, you know, had I scored the penalty and stayed on the pitch and not given the penalty away, there's a chance we'd have gone on and won it and, and, you know, won the league. But unfortunately, as soon as that penalty went in, and I have no idea, I mean, I'm no idea for this day why I ended up just, you know, sticking my arm out on the line. Absolutely no idea. Um, and obviously something I'd never done before, never done again. And I just, I can't think why I ever did it. And, but, you know, it's quite a famous, it's, it's probably as a famous a game in our house that gets talked about. Of You know, guess what? My dad missed a penalty, yeah. got sent off, gave a penalty away and cost his team the league title in the same day. It's good yeah. going there. That. But, but just that's... to make it, when I thought it couldn't get any worse, I get on the bus uh, after the game and Sky's on and Sky Sports News is on. And uh, next thing, he comes on. Chris Barker sent off for serious foul play. So my brother got sent off on the same day oh, as well. Really? So I, I was thinking, uh, I can't wait to ring my mum up here because she's going to be over the moon here. She's seen both of us <laughs> sent off in the same day.
1: Hey, that can't <laughs> happen very it. often, box Can
2: it? He can't get it. He can't. So uh, I remember huh? ringing my brother. He actually got sent off. He elbowed Hendry in the face, and um, no, well, oh, I know, Well, Leandro said to him, marking, he was marking him on a and Leandro said to him, do you want to wash my Ferrari? And my brother went, I'm oh. sick of you. he just went like that. And um, so, uh, so yeah, unfortunately we, we both got sent off on the same day, just when I thought my day couldn't get any worse. Wow. Amazing. How much, I mean, we
0: asked Danny this as well, and, and, and I think it's clear from your answers already, how much shine did it take off the memories you have of that season? That you didn't lift the silverware.
2: Yeah, it did. It did. Um, um I mean, we got the promotion. At the end of the day, your aim is to try and obviously play in the next level. But, you know, did we deserve to win the title? I think we did. I think we did. And, you know, to go 20-odd games unbeaten from October to April is is unbelievable. I thought we were the best team. I thought we were the best organised. I thought we had the best group of players. Um, and, and unfortunately, you know, we just didn't quite get over the line with that. But, you know, I, I, looking back at the start of the season when everybody had taken second year, you know, is that acceptable in terms of the way it ended up? Probably not really, no, you know, unfortunately. So, um, but um, yeah, it is a big regret of mine.
1: I think from my point of view, when you look back at that season you're still incredibly proud that you got promoted because like Bog said, it's a really tough thing to do and and we were actually tidying out the other day and I found the medals in a drawer, and I was explaining what they were to me little girl and she didn't understand and, and Nick was like, do you realise like, not many people have medals that say they get promoted and I think looking back now, it it's for the fans that you wish you'd won the title for. It's yeah. for the, the, the fans that have travelled everywhere and have had, had tough times and because at the end of the day, we, when it says we got promoted that is such a big thing for us but I think when you look back it's just that you wish you could have won it for the fans to give them that one thing to really celebrate because I think if you win it and get promoted you can really have a party you know I think and I think that's my only regret about the season
2: yeah and also I think probably just the way it finished to to lose because we ended up losing to Bristol Roves I think it was was the last game of the season we lost (laughs) So, you know, to, to lose the last, you know, if, if we'd have gone, I don't know, 14 games unbeaten, lost one, 14 games unbeaten, lost the last one, you'd sort of go, well, we had a right good go, didn't we? But, you know, realistically, I think we needed to win one out of two or something to to win the league and to end up with neither of them is was was just, you know, it, it probably took a shine off some, you know, so many things that we'd achieved as the unbeaten run and, you know, to actually get promoted and finish runners up, it just took a little bit of a shine off. And as Mickey said, you know, in that full house on the last day of the season, to have, and, and obviously, as Mickey has been the captain, to be able to lift the trophy and, and be champions is something that you know doesn't happen very often. And uh, we try and say to our players, we've, we've now had two promotions at Rotherham in the last three years, and we say to our players, Look, if you've been a part of that, don't assume that this is how it is every year, by the way, because there's players who play for 15, 16 years who might get yeah. one promotion a, 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 a career, maybe even none, you know, players who just hang around in the middle of the table. so so, you know, the promotion, yes, but as Mickey said, it would be, be nice to, well, be on nice to obviously win the title. Yeah, I
1: remember I, I remember that game, and I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone about this. I was, I, I'd been out the team, I think I'd been in the run, and then I got injured, and I'd been left out of Wickham, and then Rochdale, and I remember Brian Jones rang me up a couple of days before, and he was like, how are you, Mickey? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I, I, look, I totally understand other people can play. I said, but what will kill us if, if we actually get promoted, and I'm not on the pitch. If yeah. sorry, if we win the title, and I'm not on the pitch at that time, and he said, "Look, I'll speak to Danny," and, and Danny was like, "Look, I, I'm not going to change the team. I'm going to select just so." But what he did do, he put me on the bench for that last game, right. and he said, "Look, if if we're going to win the title, I'll put you on." And I was like, "Look, that that's absolutely fine with me." And I, it was me yeah. being selfish. It was me because I wanted I wanted to be the one that was the captain. And and actually lift the thing and, and feel yeah. like I played a part on that day, and uh, unfortunately yeah, it wasn't to yeah. be. But again, it just shows Danny's my management of people and yeah, yeah. And now absolutely. he looks after people. Brilliant. I think you finished that season with nine in eighteen,
0: and Barks going into into League One again. And I think I'm right. Were you top scorer the next season in League One, weren't
2: you? Yeah, I, I finished with about seventeen or eighteen, I think. Yeah, um, it was yeah.
0: In both both seasons that you finished the club with, which is, is
2: a yeah, achievement, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in fairness, I thought that um, other than maybe a bit of bad luck and maybe a couple of injuries and and things not quite going our way, I thought that we could have backed that up with a, another push for for the playoffs in in League One that year. I thought that you know there was a difficult like Leeds were in our league, weren't they, at that particular time? And you look at League One, and it was you know it was a tough league, but um. I felt that with the, the, the momentum that we had and the confidence that we had that we could have probably, you know, and we I don't think we felt much sure. I think we finished in the top half of the league and, you know, probably fizzled out for the last couple of games. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought that, uh, and, 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 you know, then we sort of cemented ourselves as a sort of fairly regular League One season after that League One team. Yeah.
0: One of the, one of the questions that fans have been asking, because you played with um, numerous players, Players during your time at the club, who who did you like to play up front with the most? Because we usually were playing two up front, I think, from memory. Works. Yeah. Who was your favourite partner during your time at Hartlepool?
2: Well, I mean, Joel was 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 excellent, in terms, technically excellent. And look back now, he was you know he was what you would call as a sort of bit of a modern day ten. Technically very good, coming receiving it to feet, um, an, an excellent finisher, and, and knew the game reasonably well. Um, F was probably, you know, a little bit closer to me in terms of certainly in terms of age and and experience and understanding of the game, but probably, you know, not quite as technical as what Joel was. Uh, And then Ian Moore for a little bit. Uh, Again, same age as me, uh, probably more comfortable in terms of like running in behind. And that's probably where we complemented each other. I think that was mainly in the League One season that. So. So um so looking back now, you know, all three of them were 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 excellent partners and good good people to play with. Uh and and we complemented each other pretty well, really. And um yeah, I think I, I don't think they were all three of them weren't there at that at the same time. So I sort yeah. of ended up being a bit with Joel, a bit with F, then a bit with uh, Ian Moore. So um but all very different, but all equally, you know, as good um, in their own rights, really. Yeah.
1: Parks, just before we move on to like the, the quick questions, I didn't realise that your son was a Charlton. until I looked in the yeah. day. How is that? Do you know what I mean? How I grew up, I, I was lucky enough, I grew up with um, a lad, Andy Todd, whose dad was Colin Todd. And Colin actually took our Sunday league team for years and years and years. And years, and, and I, I got to go to Middlesbrough with them and, and you see the inside of football. I'm actually reading Jamie Redknapp's book at the minute. And it's brilliant because... It, well, apart from when he gets the eighteen goes to Liverpool, it's very similar to my upbringing. The like, football's all he want to do. How how do you find it being the dad of a young footballer that's obviously got a lot of talent at a, at a football club? Is it is does he listen to you? Does he, to your Dad? Uh, you haven't got a clue what you're talking about.
2: Or... <laughs> yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, firstly, he's had the advantage of uh, what's I I became a manager in 2011, so you know he's now 17. So since the age of eight, he's coming to work with me the odd time during school holidays uh, and seeing the environment to a certain extent. He's sort of gone a different way, really. He, he, I actually, believe it or not, he, he was playing grassroots football up to the age of 14 and uh, he was captain of his county team. And uh, when I was at Charlton, not long before I left, actually, I, I just happened to bump into the academy manager and said, look, you can not give my lad a trial, could you? And he was like, well, tell me about him." I said, look, you know, he's, he's 13, 14 years of age. He's captain of, of Sussex Boys. However, you know, living in, in Brighton, if you don't play for Brighton and Brighton's academy is very good, it's a Cat 1 academy. If you don't play for Brighton, there is no one else within 45 miles. So, yeah. you know, the good players get to play for Brighton, the ones just underneath it, there's no second option. So I said, look, I might be wrong, he might be miles off, but he's the captain of his county team, you know, could you have a look? Anyway, we, I took him up for a couple of school holidays, they had a look at him and they said, yeah, he's not bad actually, and we do need a centre-half in the under-14s. We'll give him a. We'll give him a. You know, an opportunity for a year. Okay, no problem. Anyway, by the time he came to fifteen, he was playing for the sixteens, and by the time he came in under sixteen, he was playing for the under 18s and then got his scholarship, and then um, he just turned seventeen in September and made his league debut and scored his first goal. Um, ended up playing, I think it was ten games out of twelve or something for the first team, and then just signed a new contract. So. But yeah, he's, a, he's, he's, he's always listened apart from maybe a bit of a wobble up at about 12, 13, because they all know the best, don't they? They all know better yeah, than you, yeah. do, <laughs> even though you've had 25 years in the game. But, um, I, I think the one positive that he's probably got and the slight advantage over everyone else is that he just understands the discipline, determination and desire and sacrifices that it takes to become a professional footballer. Is he, is he unbelievably technically now, you know, is he, is he the best that he can be at this particular time? Yeah, I think he can be. And, um, You know, I said to him all the time, look, if you're going to fail, fail because you're not good enough. Don't fail because you want to be one of those guys who sits in the pub and goes, I could have been. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I I found, you know, I found, you know, uh, my girlfriend or I found something else or, you know, you know, know, the manager didn't like me. If you're going to fail, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I've had a right good go. And in fairness, he does, mate. And, um, you know, he's he's captain of the 18s. He's. He played his first first team game before he even played for the twenty three So he sort of leapfrogged and ended up playing. Um, and uh, you know, so he ended up playing ten or twelve games, uh, which is some achievement for a seventeen year old at centre half as well. By the way, in, in, yeah, in one. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, unbelievably proud of him and so far. But he knows he's still got a long way to go.
1: Talking of sacrifices, Boggs, I, I was actually speaking to Nelson about this when we were, we were driving the other day, and, and he spent years travelling all over the country, he went down a barn, he was up in Scotland, and, and now his family never moved, family stayed exactly yep. where they were, and he, he spent so many hours, and I was honest with him, I said, look me, I couldn't do it, I, I, yeah. I couldn't be it, and, and he said, oh, I just got used to it, you were in a very similar position at one point as well, weren't you, with family, one part of the country, and you somewhere else? Yeah,
2: well, I was still now, mate, I mean, I'm actually sat in Brighton now, I drove back from Rotherham this afternoon, um, and uh, now sat in Brighton, so my family obviously live here, um, Charlie, now my son, who was in digs in Charlton, but because of COVID, he's, he's now passed his test. So he comes home every day. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a very understanding family and, and a supporting wife who who understands that to to make a career in this game, unfortunately, it, it, it means moving around. And, um, you know, I, I, as I said, you know, even just to reiterate about earlier, about when the pool chance came up, I still travelled from Rotherham every day because my kids' education was important to me. And, um, you know, in fairness, when I signed for Horticulture, I think I was 31, I think, at the time, you know, I knew, without being disrespectful, I knew that I weren't going to spend the rest of, you know, I weren't going to be there for very long, you know, I was 31, I weren't I weren't going to do a humps and be there for 10 years. So, my kids' education was important and, um, you know, as was, you know, my, my, the, the family life. So. Uh, and then when we moved back, my wife from Brighton, I actually met her when I was playing here, and she decided she wanted to move back to Brighton after I'd finished playing. We also knew that it would it would lead to a lot of sacrifices for me to stay in the game. So, you know, I, I'm I'm very fortunate that I've, you know, I look back now and you know, maybe at times neglected my family and particularly my kids to 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 take opportunities at MK Dons and, and to Rotherham and my first managerial job at Bury when it was really difficult. But they've always been dead understanding and, and supportive. So without them, I couldn't do it, really. Richie, thanks very much
0: indeed. That's maybe the first time I've called you. Richie actually there. Sorry about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Come on, Sybil.
1: <Sibor. laughs>
0: thanks, Richard, for uh, joining us on the Switcher Player podcast tonight. Hope you've enjoyed going down the uh, the memory lane as much as we have. It's brilliant to have you on.
2: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for having me. And, and, and finally, just... Uh, I hope the obviously you know the current Hartlepool continue to do as well as they have done and and get themselves back in the league. I always look for the result. It's always one of the first results you, you know, as Mickey will tell you. You always look for your former clubs, whether that's as a player, a coach, or as a manager. And um, you know, I know there's been some difficult times there, and uh, you know, there's there's definitely it looks like there's some light at the end of the tunnel with the current crop. So, fingers crossed that uh, you know they get back into the league. The whole thing, you know, the campaign gets completed and. We see them back in the league where they should be very quickly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, never mind. You got relegated there, Mickey, when you were up the top and now you're down the bottom of my
1: screen there. I don't know what happened. I
0: know Nels was ringing us so
1: I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to sort out what was happening. <laughs> well,
0: Barks, take care of yourself, mate, and all the best with, Thanks, you, guys. Uh,
1: with the rest of the season. Thanks. Here's, Look here's after Barks, yourself. Lovely to see you, Take care. Andrew. See you later. Bye-bye. Right,
0: Bye. Cheerio. Mickey, that was a fantastic uh, Switcher Player podcast once again. And, um, Barks, obviously, just remembers everything so keenly about his time at Harlequin.
1: Yeah, he does. He has a real affinity with the club, and obviously the, the fans love him because of what he did when he was there. Um, real, real, genuinely nice guy. Uh, intelligent. He's, he's a student of the game. I've been on management courses with him and coaches, courses, course, and, and he takes everything in. He, he, he really, really works hard at his job in football, and I think... Um, it's a credit to him how how, how well he's done. Um, like you said, he sacrificed a lot, not seeing a lot of his family because he wants to be involved in the game. But um, someone, that, that I to, age, someone that I look up to, even know a very similar age, me, someone that I look up to as sort of someone that a been a footballer but knew his level and knew that he wanted to go on and have a career as a coach and a manager. And um, I'm just really pleased that he's able to do that because he is, a, as I said, a really, really nice guy. Well, I think it's been another
0: good episode. We've got another few things up our sleeve as well, hopefully, in the in the coming weeks. We aren't quite uh, done yet, I don't think, Mickey, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to conjure something in the uh, the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, hopefully. I mean, um, while we're in lockdown, we'll hopefully be able to do a few more episodes. So it's, it'll be nice to get out of lockdown, but hopefully we can get a few more in before that happens.
0: I just want to say a big thank you again to the people from Hartlepool United Supporters Trust who who've backed us with this episode with the uh, the sponsorship and everybody who clubbed in to, to back this episode of Switcher Play. really appreciate it. So everyone yeah. at Article United Supporters
2: Trust, thank you very much and we'll see you again next time. Cheers.